the relationships between the various levels of earth, man, and heaven, etc. So it's very much a carefully thought through, mindful activity. And when you listen to people who are actually involved in this practice, they will tell you that when they're doing this, mm-hmm. everything else is almost completely negated. They're not aware of anything else except what they're doing. Oh, You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 88, Time Trek, Time for Reflection. Where have all the flowers gone? Long time passing. Where have all the flowers gone? Long time ago. And welcome to another episode of the Sill Podcast, Side Tributary. This is a time track, my friend. Time for reflection, Harry. I know, but it's part of the time track series that we're doing. Right. We take a moment in time, a development in time, and then we unpack it and talk about its context and its importance and how it's meaningful today, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, a development of an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And it began roughly in the 7th century in Japan. And it's an art form known as Ikebana. Mm. I-K-E-B-A-N-A, which is the art of flower arranging, or the actual translation of ikebana is to make flowers alive, Mm -hmm. to keep them alive. But it's so much more than that, isn't it? Well, it is, and we'll get to what it is more of, but let's give a little bit of background. Sure. So back in the 7th century, people used to bring floral offerings to the altar. So it was a kind of religious or spiritual decorative thing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't taken seriously as an art form, really, Mm -hmm. until much later, about nine centuries later, when it began to become popular as an art form. And it took on certain rules of form and line and shape and how to create uh, flower arrangements that kind of add to the spiritual essence of a space. Mm -hmm. So Buddhism came to Japan from China and Korea, and along with Buddhism came this idea of mindfulness, of being very conscious of how you do anything in the world. Mm -hmm. And so flower arrangements became also more conscious, ritualized almost. Ritualized like most Japanese yeah, art forms. that's right. We can think of martial arts mm-hmm. and the kind of ritualization involved in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other art forms in Japan can you think of? Uh, the- haiku. Theater. Theater. No theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, N-O-H, theater. Uh, haiku. Sumo wrestling. Sumo wrestling, yeah, has a certain ritualized quality to the combat mm. of it. Samurai. Yeah, the samurai, the traditional samurai poets who would learn the art of poetry as part of their martial training. And in fact, many generals in the Japanese military learn ikebana as part of their training because it helps to calm the mind mm-hmm. and allows them to make better decisions on the battlefield. So it's not just a female thing, as you pointed out earlier today mm-hmm. when you're talking. Flowers often are associated with the feminine, but... In Japan, it doesn't work that way. No, in fact, it's dominated by the males. Mm-hmm. That's at, right. At this point. Yeah. Although more and more people in the West are adopting it. In fact, there was a CBC podcast back in 2013 mm-hmm. 
Sharon Coor, I believe her name was, uh, she attended Expo 67 in Montreal. Right. And saw this Ikebana mm-hmm. display. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was formerly a math teacher and she took it up. She's been doing it ever since. For how many years? 40 odd plus. 40 odd, 40, wow. 50 years. Wow, amazing. And there are more than a thousand schools of different types of Ikebana. Mm-hmm. So there's all these kind of lineages. It's like a martial tradition where they have these schools or Ryu, R-Y-U, as they're called. Mm-hmm. And they all have different approaches to arranging these flowers. But in general, there are two main categories of flower arrangement in Ikebana. One is called Rika. Mm-hmm. And the other is called Nagerabana. And the basic difference between the two? Well, Rika is a bit more formalized, a bit more stiff. And Nagerabana is a bit more natural and simple. And what happened was it began kind of with Rika, with this more stiff and formal approach. Mm-hmm. And it gradually became Nagerabana, a more natural approach. And that's the precursor to Ikebana that we understand today. The basis of which is maintaining harmony with nature. Harmony with nature, exactly. And also a certain way of looking at life. So Mm -hmm. the way they organize their arrangements often has to do with the fact that there's the earth, then there's the human beings that are on the earth, and then there's the heavens above. Mm -hmm. So they arrange their flowers to reflect that. So heaven would be a tall stem, for example, that Mm -hmm. rises up the top. And then human beings would be a middle Kind of floral something. And then at the bottom, you might have a small flower representing earth. Now, there is one significant difference between the Eastern and Western aspect of this. In the West, we tend to arrange things in very symmetrical form. So most flower arrangements that we do here for funerals, banquets, weddings, etc., they're done very symmetrically. Right. Whereas Ikebana is the exact opposite. That's right, because nature is asymmetrical or asymmetrical. Mm -hmm. But for some reason in the West, we've come to feel comfortable with symmetry. There's something complete that we like about it, Mm -hmm. whereas asymmetry tends to suggest change, that it's changing to something else. It's flowing. Flowing into whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The way the natural world changes. But symmetry implies static in a way, stasis. Mm -hmm. It's also controlled. Yeah. It's artificial in many ways. Right, exactly. And the thing is, I was thinking about this whole thing of flower arrangement in its inception, because thinking about the idea of bringing flowers into your house or your temple, Mm. it's not a natural thing at all. Because before dwellings came along, before the agricultural revolution, we were hunter-gatherers. We were outside in nature all the time. You wouldn't even think about bringing a bouquet of flowers into your cave, Mm -hmm. into your rudimentary house, because you're so close to nature to begin with. It's an artificial thing to bring nature into the house. Well, because we've isolated ourselves from it, and it's a way of reconnecting with it in some form. Yeah, and in the Buddhist tradition, they decorate their, they're called tokonomo, their sort of sacred spaces. There's an alcove in the room that they would have maybe a sacred scroll with scriptures on Mm -hmm. it. And then you'd have the arrangement and maybe a third little something like a trio of things. And that would be it for the entire room. It would be clear otherwise, rather than that little alcove with those things in it. The tea ceremony, which is also the way of tea, called chado, chado yeah. uh, is done in that kind of environment. 
And in fact, the tea ceremony really helped to shape Ikebana in certain directions as well because it incorporated those flowers. Sure, it's uh, ritual on ritual. Mm-hmm. That's right. There's a systematic approach to it all. It's not just haphazard. Yeah. There's prescriptions and rules, and typical Ikebana is not so much interested in the color of the flowers, for example, Mm -hmm. with certain exceptions. Red, they avoid, because it implies sort of flames and death, and so there's no Mm -hmm. red allowed at funerals. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't bring red to a funeral. But Ikebana is more concerned with line, shape, and form. Mm -hmm. It's almost architectural when you think about it, right? As architects are concerned with line, shape, and form. Yeah, there's a definite aesthetic to it. Yeah. But ultimately, it's also to create that kind of peaceful environment. Mm -hmm. Yes. The absence also of sound in some ways, suggestive Mm -hmm. of that, is that quiet space. Yeah, because you wouldn't be yakking away while you're doing this. Mm -hmm. You focus so much on the purity and the beauty of the forms and the shapes and the the relationships between the various levels of earth, man, and heaven, etc., So it's very much a carefully thought through, mindful activity. And when you listen to people who are actually involved in this practice, they will tell you that when they're doing this, Mm -hmm. everything else is almost completely negated. They're not aware of anything else except what they're doing. That's what you said this woman said on Mm -hmm. the podcast, Mm -hmm. right? She's very emphatic about it. Really? It kind of just naturally eliminates Mm -hmm. distractions. Yes. So one of the reasons why, as you said, you expressed about the generals going to battle, it's that concise, definitive decisions based on clarity. Let's explore this for a minute. Mm. Choose an activity that we do regularly in the West, and how could we apply the principles of Ikebana to that? What would be an example of something that we do regularly? Well, what we do regularly is we typically in the West do a lot of multitasking. We do a lot of activities simultaneously, which is not only taxing, but it sort of eliminates that ability to focus Mm -hmm. on something and really get more out of something, even an ordinary conversation. Mm. We had the experience a couple of weeks ago where we were involved in that kind of roundtable discussion. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but did you notice how different it was when you spoke? I mean, there was complete silence in the room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You didn't have multiple conversations. Everyone was able to focus on the subject at hand. Right. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the art of conversation, if you apply the rules of Ikebana and that thoughtfulness and that awareness of relationship and line and form mm-hmm. and the flow of the conversation, it would be very much like that. It would be a real intense listening. Well, because of what you just described, exactly. You are really concentrating on the listening part of the conversation. That's really what enriches a conversation. Right. Yes. What would be an example in the world of technology, say? Any thoughts on that? Well, one of my pet peeves, which I was discussing with a client uh, last night, actually. Yeah. They were describing how difficult it is to sometimes carry some things out to finish them, to always have to go back and remind themselves of certain steps that they have to do and why do they have to keep doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the things I tried to point out was is that sometimes they're trying to do too much rather than focus on one activity and learn it really well. They're being overwhelmed by the things in their mind that's saying, I need to do this, I need to do that, etc. The mm-hmm. other thing is, is if you've just finished the lesson, it's like languages. If you come to a language class and I teach you 15 minutes of French, and you don't say another word of French until the next class a week later, 
Right. Your ability to retain or to improve or enhance what you were taught is going to be minimal, if at all, because you haven't done anything with it. Right. But if, on the other hand, you leave that French class and then you immerse yourself in a French community or you converse with other people in the language in between the classes, <laughs> you won't feel like you have to relearn everything you learned the last time you were there because basically the second lesson, I spent half of my time regurgitating what I said the first time because you have to renew that aspect of the learning. Right. Well, see, what you're describing there is the Japanese way of, the do part of mm -hmm. cha do, the way of tea, the do part of ka do, the way of flowers, mm -hmm. if you like. It's very much like if you became a sushi chef in Japan, you don't just become a sushi chef. It's years, years of exactly. rigorous training and awareness and thoughtfulness and learning the art of cutting fish, after all. Well, relate back to what we're talking about today, which is ikibana. Yeah. And it's like martial arts. They have levels that you achieve in ikibana. That's right. Same uh, thing. Master, ikib grandmaster. Yeah. An ikibana master yeah. can take 15, 20 years to achieve the equivalent of a black belt in karate or taekwondo. I loved your example earlier today. You were talking to me about uh, Billy Jack, the movie Billy Jack. Oh, and yeah. Had that scene go again? Well, there's a scene, I don't remember <laughs> the specific details because this is like 40, 50 years ago, where he's encouraged to remain calm because he's a very skilled fighter. Mm -hmm. He's a former Green Beret and he's a karate expert as well. Right. And so he's taught to refrain from using his skills for fear of hurting people. Mm -hmm. But of course, he's in this confrontation with these so-called bad people. And right. essentially keeps looking over his shoulder to the woman who keeps saying, stay calm now, don't, don't let him <laughs> don't get, explode. Don't, don't let him get to you. <laughs> and eventually the guy keeps on and he finally says to him, uh, and now this is paraphrasing, you know what I'm going to do now? He says, I'm going to take my right foot and I'm going to put it on the left side of your face. Mm-hmm. Of course, the guy laughs because he's like standing six inches in front of him. <laughs> and then the next second, whop, the foot comes up and uh, it's all over. So he was practicing martial ikebana, that yeah. calm, mindful awareness in the moment. Right. And the design of the kick and everything was the perfect arc. It's very ikebana. And the whole time, of course, was what's comical is he's saying, I'm really trying. I'm really, really trying not to lose it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The humility that's there. Yeah. It's very interesting. I had a martial arts teacher once also who was a guest at our dojo, mm. and um, Shiraishi-san, Shiraishi-sensei was his name. Yeah. And he, he was a little guy. He was about five foot two or something, yeah. very slender. Yeah. And he would uh, stand in front of you when we were training, and he'd kind of tip his head to the side and smile and draw an X on his cheek oh. and say, hit me, please. <laughs> Hit me, please. Why is it that all these guys are small? Because when I was 17, I went to Soroka Karate School at Bathurst and Wilson. I don't know if it was part of your neighborhood there, but uh, yeah, yeah. same thing. The guy's five foot four, five foot five. Yeah. And yeah. just a dynamo. Right. So fast, you can't even see half the things he does, but he's the most soft spoken, mm -hmm. gentle guy you'll ever meet. Well, the thing about our tradition that I learned in, which was ninjutsu, it's not about speed so much, right. which is like a cabana. It's more about awareness. Flow flow, yeah. form, and the shape of your movement, mm -hmm. and timing, timing, and all of that, and strategy. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And not wasting energy. Not wasting energy doing a ki or whatever. Or right? even using your opponent's energy against them. Like Aikido right. does. Aikido. Right. This is the Do again. Box, box. So, what's your story? 
You are the new student. Come closer. You cannot see. You think I cannot see. Of all things, to live in darkness must be the worst. Fear is the only darkness. Take your broom and strike me with it. Do as I tell you. Strike. Again. Here, catch. <laughs> Never assume that because a man has no eyes, he cannot see. Close your eyes. What do you hear? I hear the water. I hear the birds. Do you hear your own heartbeat? No. Do you hear the grasshopper, which is at your feet? Old man, how is it that you hear these things? Young man, how is it that you do not? Box, box. So they have these art forms in Japan that they raise to a high aesthetic level. Yes. Which I find fascinating. You made mention of some fellow that uh, when you were in Kyoto with your wife, and we related it to trains and lost articles and that whole kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah. The whole attitude towards things and people care for things. Right. So when I lost a bag on the Kyoto subway system, two stops later... I went, oh my God, my bag's gone. It's, mm-hmm. It had my camera, my passport, all kinds of important documents. Mm-hmm. And I said to my wife, just wait here on the platform. I'm going back to the original starting point and look around. And so I did that, went to the ticket counter. There was nothing there. Went to the ticket agent and tried to speak to him in Japanglish. He said, oh, I have a brako bagu, uh, lost brako bagu. Right. Right. <laughs> and he understood and went, oh, okay, come, come in. And so I went into his office and there it was, Amazing. untouched, Amazing. unopened, signed for it and took it home. But there's a certain aesthetic there that people do care. They're not interested in stealing mostly. Yeah, you know. I know. It's a cultural bent that we could really learn from in the West in yeah. terms of that trust and no desire to harm I'm sure that there are people even in Japan who do. But but when you think of a city, for example, 30 million plus, Mm -hmm. there are as many people in Tokyo and its surrounding suburbs than in all of Canada. Yes, that's right. Amazing. It is amazing. My son, my sister were there and they described the level of cleanliness Mm -hmm. uh, where here's a city of 30 million people and you could literally eat off the streets. You could never achieve that with a kind of controlling, authoritative situation. You would have to have individuals who care enough yeah. to look after their own space. Sure. It goes even further when you go into the temples, mm-hmm. because you go into a Zen Buddhist temple, for example, and you go to the classic rock gardens that they mm. create that are raked. So these are very small stones, and these gardens have maybe one or two larger stones, and the rest is just a field of smaller stones raked in certain curves yes. that you can see as patterns yes. in it. And you can see that every single stone has had some human care and consciousness put into it. Every corner of the temple. Exactly. You can see it Mm -hmm. there. It's phenomenal. Nothing is done haphazardly. You described the fire station. 
Oh, yeah. Or you get up in the morning, take a walk, and you go to the local fire station, and out front are the firefighters doing Tai Chi-like exercises, warming up for the day at the fire station. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're expected to do it on your own and then show up and go to work. It's yeah. part of the work right. ethic there right. is to do these things together. Mm -hmm. you know? Positive behavioral practice amongst the population. It's health conscious. There's a seeking for serenity or of serenity. They're not separate. This is a way of being. It's a social way of being, yeah. which connects people and makes them accountable and responsible to one another. And there's a certain respect there because, right. for example, another example of Japanese culture is that uh, it's looked on very unkindly if you pull out your lunch on the subway, for example, mm. and start munching on a sandwich or an apple or something. People look at you and go lowbrow, <laughs> ah. not respectful. You don't eat in public like that. Right, it's right. just not correct. It's not done. Mm -hmm. and some people may look at that as being overly restrictive. Right. You know, we in the West feel like we can be free to be idiots anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. But in Japan, it's a bit more controlled, a bit more. And that reflects into these aesthetics like yeah, the flower yeah. arrangements. But maybe adopting a bit more of that, and then you find a little bit of the middle ground. Right. The balance. The balance, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so that we can take our wild, anything goes here in the West, and temper it. Just think of the cost reduction and the energy reduction. You're completely emphasizing another aspect of society. How you do you know? mean? Well, if you adopt even partially what you're describing with Ikebana in terms of the spiritual sense, a way of being, mm -hmm. and then all the other things we discussed about societal behaviors. Yeah. You would greatly reduce the amount of supervision, as an example, the police force, the amount of control mm. that you would have to apply in yeah. order to keep things in check. If we as citizens are caring enough to pay attention to certain things without having someone police us all the time. Yes, right. You can take all that energy and resource and apply mm. it to further educating people. Sure. Balancing paychecks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a way of being that reduces the load mm -hmm. on a system mm -hmm. and does not make it the government on one side and the people on the other side. It's together. Yeah, yeah it's all about context too. Yeah. Yeah. So for example, in the martial arts, in our tradition, when you entered the dojo, mm. you bowed. Yep upon entering the dojo. And then you'd put on your dogi, your outfit, your martial arts uniform with your belt, etc. And by doing that, you've ritualized the process of the training and created a context which is not the outer world. It's a different world in that dojo. That's right. And you either respect that world or your sensei will have some words with you. You might even get tossed out if you're not respectful right. in that. But if you recall, and I do recall my days in dojos, even that part of it was handled very, very differently. Yeah. I'm talking now specifically with Oriental instructors because I did find a difference. I'm not saying that they were superior, but they had a, a different approach. Right. And that approach was even if you were going to be expelled from the class or removed from the environment, even that was done in a nice way. Mm -hmm. You weren't forced or embarrassed out of the room. You were quietly spoken to. And yeah. essentially when you're ready to make a change, we're ready to accept you. Right, But right. until then, please yes. remove yourself from get this out, particular environment. Get out of the uh, flower vase. You're yeah, not, you're yeah. not one of the, that, <laughs> you can't be in the arrangement. You can't be a petal <laughs> in this arrangement. <laughs> the other thing about Ikebana is that they really 
take great care in terms of the actual vessel that the flower Contains. arrangement is in. It yeah. isn't just grab a vase and throw the flowers in. The vase has to pertain in color and texture and style to the floral arrangement. They'll often use what's called a frog. It's yes. a spiky base that you can push the stems into, right. which means that you can actually have the water come up higher up in the pot, more towards the surface to reflect the idea that this is the earth. Now we're in the earth. Right. Just to emphasize the structural part of that, if you've ever handled any of these, you'll find that the pot is generally heavier than you think mm -hmm. it would be when you see it. Right. And part of that is the base, the foundation, the strength from which you build. Right. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you'd have something very flimsy. Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. base has to hold while everything else is built on top of it. So it yes. generally has weight to it more so than it actually appears. Yeah. And part of the use of frogs as well, it helps to keep flowers alive longer. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the tradition that the Buddhist side of it is the whole notion is to keep things alive, to nourish life. Right. And so these vessels that are used in Ikebana are very much connected to that impulse to increase life on the planet. Yeah, the interesting part about all these things we've been talking about yeah. is that there are many things going on in what seems to be something very simple. Yes. Connecting to the universal. Mm -hmm. Right, and I'd encourage anyone out there to do an Ikebana class. Do one class and get a feel for it and that sense of calm that you'd get in that activity. Yeah. I also worked in a Japanese paper shop in Toronto. And oh, there's really? an, another area. I didn't know that. Yeah, where there are lineages okay. of paper makers going back hundreds and hundreds of years. Interesting. Passing on the knowledge of paper making to the next generation and the next. Yeah. A natural mentorship as well. Yeah, very similar to Ikebana and the lineages there and the martial arts traditions. There's a lineage of paper making too. Right, and it also kind of emphasizes craftsmanship, mm -hmm. which is kind of the opposing view or position of what this disposable society that we live in. Yes. This throwaway attitude. Yeah, something made to last, mm -hmm. something to be kept alive. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese also have a very interesting aesthetic uh, term. It's called wabi-sabi, oh. which you can apply to this. You don't put that on your... Uh... <laughs> That's a different one. On your burger? That, that's a different wabi-sabi. <laughs> that's a different right? wabi-sabi. Yeah. But wabi-sabi is a term that basically means respecting that which is imperfect ah. or aged, old. So respect for the elderly, which right. is there in Japanese culture. It definitely and is. Yeah, respect yeah. for things that are ancient and a rusted door. You have respect for that rusted door. You don't just get rid of it because it's rusty. You recognize there's beauty in it, mm -hmm. in that rusting of the door. So this idea of wabi-sabi implies looking around and seeing the ordinary and recognizing beauty in it. Right. And in recognizing beauty in all things, including flowers. Yeah, just the increased power of observation. Yeah. We're never really taught that in the West, no. in, in our educational system, is how to see things, right. how to be open in one's observations mm -hmm. and to be present in the moment. That's something that isn't really given to us as kids in the West, unfortunately. That's also one of the foundations of Ikebana, keeping things present. Mm-hmm. Yes, in the moment. One of the hardest things to do yeah. is to be in the moment. And these kinds of activities are really important to learn that art. And like. given that they're also, as a society, the oldest living people on Earth, on average. Oh, yes, that's true, isn't it? 
There's probably a connection. Sure, because the calmer you are, your breathing is slower. Everything is slowed down. Everything mm -hmm. takes longer. And so it makes sense that that calmness would lead to old age. Well, it also improves the healing process. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just thought it was yogurt. They ate yeah. a lot of yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> Ikebana, baby. <laughs> Ikebana listeners, we'd love to hear the feedback, right? Sure. If any of you are engaged in that activity, tell us what your experience is like so mm -hmm. we can share that with people from your point of view. Actually, any of the comments we get are so welcome. This is the, what, the 88th, yeah, 88th uh, podcast. podcast. So yeah. you have all 88 podcasts to check into and respond to. There's an audio commentary button you can press and record yep. your comments yep. or just send them in written. And for those of you who are nervous, when you're recording your audio, if you press the button, you can play it back before you send it so you don't have to worry about firing something off that you didn't want to. Right. And we'd never put your comments on the air without your permission. So. Right. Never put you in a bad light. Exactly. No. So have a good one and go out and do some ikibana. So I bow to you, Harry. And I bow to you, Sensei. Hi. Sayonara. Sayonara. Where have all the flowers gone? Long time passing. Where have all the flowers gone? Long time ago. The Sill Podcast. Perspectives on Art and Technology is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. <laughs>